to The Bond, the Christian podcast for purposeful and peaceful parenting. We want to understand children's hearts, reach parents' hearts, and see God with new eyes. Five young Christian moms started this podcast in September 2020 in Germany. My name is Denise Grant, and I have been graciously asked to be the English voice for this podcast. I have two adult children, but I see great value in the information you are about to hear for parents, children, and grandparents of all ages. We wish you God's blessings as you listen to the first episode. Imagine the following situation. You are on your way home after 10 hours of hard work, completely exhausted and tired. In fact, you don't even have the energy to cook dinner anymore. So you plan to just get inside and fall into bed, but suddenly you discover a little bird chick right next to your front door. It seems to have fallen out of its nest into your gutter. There is no trace of the mother bird. You try to put the chick back into the nest, but shortly afterwards it jumps down and lies on the ground again. It is trembling and looks completely distraught. You know it will freeze to death on the ground during the night or be eaten by another animal. What is happening inside you at this moment? Would you leave the chick lying there because you are too exhausted to care? Would you just make yourself comfortable at home because after all, the chick jumped down again by itself, so it only has itself to blame for its situation? Most likely not, because that weak and needy chick has managed to release an energy in you that you didn't seem to have before. An intense feeling of solicitude and compassion would perhaps move you to take the chick home, warm it, try to feed it, and give it all the care it needs. In this episode, we want to convey to you how Jesus looks at us human beings, how he faces us in our fallen nature, namely with care, compassion, and above all, with attachment. In addition, this episode is also about what needs God created us with and what happened in our psyche because of the fall. It may be a bit theoretical at first, but it is important to understand this foundation. We will go into more detail with many of the topics mentioned later in the podcast. But this episode is solely about getting the right view of our children. Why? Because what we see in our children decides how we react to them. The glasses we are wearing when we look at others decide how we think about them and deal with their faults and weaknesses. Our view of people even determines how we deal with ourselves and how we see God. God is the alpha of this universe. That means he is the ultimate caregiver and provider. He cannot distribute anything else than goodness because this is the essence of his character. It is also his law on which the entire universe stands. Romans chapter 13 verse 10 says, Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. In Genesis chapter 2 verse 7 we read, Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Here we can read of two components from which man is made, 
from the earth, that is, the matter that forms the body, and from God's breath. This breath forms the inner man, that is, the character, feelings, thoughts, and decisions. It is also the potential he has placed in each of us to become a unique, beautiful, mature personality. God made human beings into his image, as men and women, because God is love and love can only develop in relationships. We, like God, are relational beings. We can see this also in the fact that after creating human beings, God created a seventh day, the Sabbath. This day was exclusively for communion between human beings and their Creator. Mankind was not created to work ceaselessly, to merely function, or to blindly obey or carry out orders. Our greatest need is relationship. This is also confirmed by the latest psychology and brain research. And this is exactly why there is a third component that completes a human being's existence. In several places, the Bible talks about us as being a dwelling place, a temple of the Holy Spirit. God wants to dwell within us, that is, to have an intimate relationship with us. And what effect does this relationship have on our hearts? According to Romans chapter 5, verse 5, the Holy Spirit pours out the essence of His character in us, and that essence is love. Yet, are we not created perfect? Why do we need the relationship with God when He has already put all the potential within us? Well, love is not a chip that God implanted into us. Neither is it forced upon us. Love can only develop and grow in a voluntary relationship based on trust. The potential to love is there, but it is, as Jesus described it, like a mustard seed and must grow. Wolfgang Bergmann writes in his book Discipline Without Fear, quote, Human beings are unique because they not only respond to love, cats and dogs do that too, but because this love is needed to create a self of our own, a mature self, end quote. As creatures and children of God, we need His inexhaustible love in order to become our complete selves, to develop our potential. Every human being depends on an external source of love to develop his or her true, unique, and mature personality. Thus, a pure and noble character also grows in attachment to and trust in God. It may sound a bit negative that we humans are fully dependent on God, but it is a healthy dependence that is also explained in attachment theory. A child can only grow and develop independence in a relationship of healthy dependence on a caring adult. In the beginning, God gave mankind the power to rule over the animals, and He gave them the responsibility over the Garden of Eden. Ruling, according to the agape love principle, means to care for the animals in nature, to nurture, to protect and preserve them. From their relationship with God, the inner urge to care for others and to accomplish something themselves grew in the first humans. And they were able to live out in Eden precisely this. 
God's goal was that human beings themselves would rule this earth in harmony with God's principles and not simply execute God's orders endlessly and without freedom of decision. If God had created submissive creatures without a will of their own, they could not have sinned. But love can only express itself when there is freedom of choice. God took a great risk because his character is agape love, and this love is based on freedom. Attachment and independence are the two greatest needs of human beings. Johann Wolfgang Goethe appropriately said, quote, Children should receive two things from their parents, roots and wings, end quote. And this is exactly what God does. He provides deep roots of attachment and at the same time gives us the opportunity to satisfy the need for self-efficacy and autonomy. These are only two of many human needs, but if these needs are satisfied, one can inwardly grow. But what happened after God created humans and bonded with them and everything was actually fine? What did the serpent tell Eve later at the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? You can read the dialogue in Genesis chapter 3 verses 1 to 5, but we will render it in our own words. Why does God forbid everything? He wants to keep something from you. He wants to keep you small and ignorant. He does not love you as much as you think. You better not trust him. If you eat of the fruit, you can live well and happily without him. You don't need God, who only wants to have you under his control. You will live, and then you will finally know who actually is the evil one here. Satan's offer was to be able to live without God and his law of agape love, and to be better off without him. People would no longer have to be dependent on anyone, and instead live by their own strength. What has the snake done here? First of all, it drew a very different picture of God to Eve than Eve previously had. God's character got wrinkles and shadows, and the longer she thought about it, the greater her doubts about God's character became, and her faith in his infinite goodness disappeared. Was the serpent right that God could not be trusted? At this point, Satan attacked both the image of God and the deep bond between Eve and God. Secondly, the serpent gave Eve a very different picture of herself. According to the serpent, Eve was not loved as she had believed. She was probably a puppet of God. She no longer had the value before God that she had always felt and been sure of. Satan instilled doubts in her as to whether she had true dignity before God and whether he trusted her. Instead, Eve should rather trust the serpent who wanted to give her true freedom and dignity. Eve let these doubts grow within her instead of rejecting them. From God's side, she had received all the evidence of his agape love, and yet she chose to doubt. What do you think happens inside a person when he or she believes Satan's statements? The consequences in Genesis 3 included 1. Eve mistrusted God and thus separated herself from her source of life and love. Without this source, she could not live eternally, nor could she grow in love. She was no longer connected to the third vital component, the Holy Spirit. 
she closed the door of her heart to him. And thus God's character, in other words, his law of agape love, was no longer written in her heart. Two, by eating of the fruit, a feeling of separation arose in her for the first time. To understand this point in depth, we would like to refer to current findings on brain research. The Canadian developmental psychologist Gordon Neufeld explains that the main task of the limbic system, that is, our emotional brain, is to transform us into mature people. But disconnection is exactly what prevents people from becoming mature. That is why dealing with separation is one of the central tasks of the limbic system. Humans were never designed for separation, only for attachment. The limbic system tries to restore and maintain this attachment, this bond between us and others. When separation happens, it tries to solve the problem and deal with it. This happens through three main emotions alarm, frustration, and the longing for closeness. Alarm makes us aware that something is wrong. Frustration releases energy in us that moves us to change something about the situation. And the longing for closeness moves us to seek and restore attachment. Depending on the person and the situation, these feelings express themselves to different degrees. They have an important purpose. However, when this purpose is not achieved and there is no healthy way of dealing with these emotions, problematic behavior arises from them. According to Gordon Neufeld, they are even the root of all destructive behavior. This means that the separation from God that Eve experienced caused in her then, as well as in us now, feelings of alarm, frustration, and the longing for closeness. 3. Eve's self-esteem, her dignity, and her entire way of thinking about herself were completely destroyed. And in this moment, the ego was born. Every human being has the natural need to be loved and valued. And in her relationship with God, Eve was always sure of her precious value and the need was satisfied. But when this need is not satisfied, the human psyche automatically tries to protect itself and increase its own value. That is, practically to love itself first and foremost. And this is the foundation of egoism. Selfishness is a natural consequence of not being loved or valued. Not, as it is often assumed, of being loved too much. Eve's focus and all her energy were now directed to plugging in her inner hole that had suddenly appeared. Now she could no longer have God plug that hole because she had been given and was holding on to a false image of Him. 4. Of course, Eve did not want to be deceived and controlled. Man was not created to be manipulated, and one of the healthy and normal instincts in us is to resist perceived coercion. The only problem here is that Satan lied. It is not God who wants to exert control, but him. 
Since Eve now had a twisted image of God inside her head, she no longer wanted to respect the boundaries God had set up for her protection and for the protection of others. She now tried to be independent and take for herself what she needed. Satan took away everything Eve needed to be fulfilled and happy. First and foremost, the love of God, but also her autonomy and freedom. Like this, she was driven to think selfishly. She still had the same valid needs, but she was inclined to look for their fulfillment anywhere but to God. Satan finally offered Eve a tempting way to make herself happy. She could eat of the fruit and become like God, independent of the love of others. This fruit promised her the fulfillment of her needs and at the same time would be able to free her from this tyrannical God. Eve believed the lie and ate of the fruit and also gave it to her husband. The great trauma of separation from God has robbed us of the possibility to develop our true potential. It has taken away our identity. The following example describes this. A child develops in the womb as one with the mother. In the womb it listens to her sounds and it identifies with her. The process of detachment from the mother's identity and the development of one's personality occurs in the first years of life and is not complete until between ages five and seven. So what happens when a newborn baby is permanently separated from its mother? You might either think that a baby doesn't notice at all or that it certainly misses its mother. But with the background knowledge that it was one with its mother, science says, a baby loses itself. It no longer knows who it is. It feels wrong in this life, and its cry for attachment is not met. Such an early trauma entails a number of serious consequences in the child's life. So many possible disorders, maldevelopments, and defense mechanisms arise that cannot all be addressed here. This example only shows a fraction of what it means for us humans to be separated from our Father, and how much undesirable development this brings forward in us. Since we have left God's principle of agape love, which is unconditional love, there is only earned love left. We labor to get respect, appreciation, and all these things. We have to work for love, but it will never be enough for us because a human brain needs the kind of love that it does not have to earn. Gordon Neufeld says, Children are not supposed to earn our love. They are supposed to rest in it. This is unlike worldly love. God's love is given to us in order for us to rest in it and to mature from that rest. Worldly love is labor. Throughout our lives, almost all of our energy is used for seeking attachment and our brain cannot develop full maturity that way. God knows our problem. God knows that without the bond with Him, we are not able to mature at all. We are not able to love, to behave maturely and thus to fulfill the law of love. That is why He sees every person, even the worst sinner, with eyes of compassion. 
He does not look at mankind with eyes of rejection, disgust, or anger. Nor is he ashamed of our behavior. To God, both our value and his love for us are constant. Now two questions arise. Is there a way to reverse the situation? And what does this mean for my dealings with people? Ty Gibson, in his book The Sun, says that redemption is to enable the restoration of the bond between men and God, to give us freedom again, and to restore us to our best selves. Redemption is the answer. Jesus satisfies our greatest needs, and thus we become free to grow again. God's plan of redemption for us was meant to enable and restore the bond between us and God, to give us freedom again, and to restore us to our best selves. God's redemption is the answer, because Jesus satisfies our greatest needs, and thus we become free to grow again. Jesus shows us quite clearly how he deals with lost sinners, that is, those who did not repent of their sins. He told the adulteress who was brought before him one day, I do not condemn you. Go and sin no more. Jesus gave her unconditional love and acceptance, forgiving her sin even before she asked for it. The bottom line is, Condemnation and punishment cannot remove sin. Only love and grace give power to change. Therefore, it makes no sense to tell a child or even an adult that he is selfish or evil and must ask God for forgiveness. This condemning attitude toward human beings will never awaken in them a genuine desire to come to God but will only cause resistance or fear. Redemption and education are the same thing. Another question arises. How do we educate in attachment? What do we do when our children throw themselves on the floor screaming because they don't get chocolate for breakfast? What do we do when they don't want to share their toys? What do we do when our children hit other children? What do we do when our child calls us names? This is a difficult set of questions to which we hope to provide answers in this podcast, but the basic principle is always the same. Our children need attachment to be empowered to behave differently. They need attachment to build their self-worth, to deal with their feelings, and they need attachment so that deep trust in us and in God can develop. In his book, Seeing God with New Eyes, Ty Gibson says that Jesus calls us to treat misbehaving people as if they were good people. We are to love them, pray for them, forgive them, and not condemn them. We shall do all of this not after they have changed or repented, but before, because this is in accordance with God's nature. Even before we turn away from evil, God loves us blesses us and forgives us without the wagging of a finger. After all, God knows best that without his love, we are not able to act differently at all. God understands us and he sees in each of us the potential that can only unfold through his love. In her book, Education, Ellen White writes, 
Education and salvation are one in the highest sense. Jesus gives attachment so that the law of love can mature in us. The same is true for our relationships with our children. Of course, as sinful human beings, we can only give attachment and love to a certain extent. That is why it is important for us as parents to enter into bonding with God. And at the same time, it is important to lead our children to the true divine source of love. And in all this, we should remember, despite all love, our children have the freedom to doubt or to decide against God's love or even our love. Now let's go back to the story we began at the beginning of this episode. That little bird by the front door was helpless, distraught, and weak. It had only itself to blame for its present situation, but nevertheless it probably did awaken in you a sense of caring. Matthew chapter 10 verse 29 says that no sparrow falls to the ground without God knowing about it. How much more does God have mercy on us, fallen human beings? God is filled with compassion and care toward us. He does not look with anger at our failures, but sees in us that needy little bird that cannot survive on its own. And that is true even in the darkest hours of our sins, and more specifically, that is just when we need Jesus to catch us. Do we see our children with the same eyes? What do we see when they throw tantrums and lash out? Can we see past their behavior and realize that inside them there is a needy child? Or do we look at their behavior with judgmental eyes and succumb to our urge to regiment them? Is this Jesus' way of change? Depending on how we look at our children, determines whether feelings of caring or feelings of condemnation are triggered in us. And this ultimately decides our parenting style. The answer for the proper education of our children is found in the words of Jesus. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Everything in this podcast will revolve around this bond. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Bond. If you have any questions, feel free to write to thebond at mail.de. That is T-H-E-B-O-N-D at M-A-I-L dot D-E. We will be delighted to help you. We would be very happy if you would take the time to rate us on Apple Podcasts. See you next time.